This podcast is brought to you by Likeable Media. Likeable Media produces and distributes content across the social web for mid to large size brands. Visit them at likeable.com. Welcome to All the Social Ladies with CEO of Likeable Media, Carrie Kerpin. Now, Carrie Kerpin. Oh, there are so many amazing lessons in this next podcast. I can't even begin to tell you. I'm really excited to introduce you to Morgan Greco, who's the Vice President of Social Media Business Development at A&E, History Channel, Lifetime, and FYI. She shares a lot of really fascinating insights. And, and one of the ones that I really love is all about kind of who you know and how to get to where you're going based on your network. Take a listen. Welcome, Morgan, to the show. Thank you. I'm so I'm, happy to be here. I'm so excited to have you here. And I'm really excited to hear about kind of what goes on behind the scenes in social media uh, at a television network. So tell me a little bit about the story of your career and how you actually got to where you are today. Sure. I actually started in social media when I was 14. Social media didn't really exist then, but I still consider it uh, working in social media because of a lot of the things that I did. So basically, I started a fan club for Rob Thomas of Matchbox 20. No, you didn't. I did. Amazing. I did. I was, I was interested in starting a fan club for someone, and then I just kind of picked him after I found out that someone else had had started a club for the drummer of Matchbox 20. So I was like, well, I guess I'll take Rob. Fine. Wow. Yeah, it was fun. Um, I was just a big nerd. So I'd sit in my little living room and my computer room and I taught myself HTML and I created this huge site on Angel Fire and GeoCities. Um, uh, if you remember those. Yeah, guys. I do. I do. <laughs> but probably a lot of our listeners who are millennial um, probably don't. Right. But, it's, but yeah, so it's like the original like message boards, social media type thing. Yeah, it was basically pre-Squarespace. Yes. Before yes, yes. when you actually had to code things. Yes. Uh, yeah, so I, I figured out how to do that. And I actually got hooked up with Rob. He was a part of the club. So I would do giveaways and sweepstakes and email newsletter. How did you do that? How did you get hooked up with him? So it's kind of funny. I actually was in a chat room for Matchbox 20 lovers and I happened to meet his sister No. On, in the chat room. Yeah. I love that. I know. It's hilarious because when you think about people saying like, you can't go into chat rooms. Right. You never know who you're going right. to meet. They're right. going to right. stalk right. you down. Right. Here I met his sister. Yeah. So we became friendly and she was quite a bit older than me at the time. I was 14. I think she's probably like mid 30. Okay. Um, and we just kind of kept in touch. And then the next time I went to a concert, Matchbox 20 was still quite small. They were playing side stages. Yeah. So I went to a concert there and I stood sort of, you know, backstage, if you will, or by the gate. And I um, gave him a message from his sister, which was that she wishes that he was home flipping burgers. And then I just kind of uh, hit it off with him there. And I went on a little bit of like a, I'd say, cross-state tour, kind of following them around. You know, this my is amazing. mother is incredible and really supported it. it. Supported yeah. it. Okay. Yeah, and he just started recognizing me and knowing what I was doing, and he was interested in being a part of it. Wow. Yeah. And so would you report on, like, what was happening as part of the fan Yeah, club? exactly. <gasps> so 
that I'd have a little uh, tape recorder. So if you've ever seen the movie Almost Famous, yes, uh, of it was course. sort of that situation where I'd take my tape recorder and I'd put it down and I'd take questions from the fans and I had them sort of, you know, pre-written out. So it'd be like, Rob, the fans want to know what's your favorite color? My really hard hitting, straight to the point kind you of question. Like a kid reporter and doing, yeah. so you were doing yeah. their content before there was exactly. content. It's really <gasps> funny because I talk about it a lot um, because the same tactics we use now in social media yes. are what we did, you know, or what I did in 1997. When you were 14. Yeah, which Crazy. is basically like, Throwback Thursday pictures. His sister sent me a ton of pictures of him when he was little. Of course, I didn't call it Throwback Thursday, right. but it was the same thing. Uh, I did a lot of interviews. And I uploaded yeah. the files. Um, I did emails. We did contests and sweepstakes. So I would get things signed and send them around to people. So it was just a really fun sort of early entry learning about Unbelievable. Marketing. We did swaps with other people, so organic partnerships. There's web rings. So yeah. basically, you were doing all of this exactly. pre-social media. Exactly. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, 19 years ago. Wow. Wild. Um, yeah, it's really, it's really wild to think about. Yeah, so I did that for a while, and I really liked it. And Rob was a part of it, like I mentioned. So uh, I grew. I had about 4,000 members by the end, across the entire world. Remember, we had a, a member in Turkey, and it was really it was so <laughs> exciting to me. Um, we had 250,000 hits, or page views, we call it now. Right. Which seems so low for, you know, I had the fan club for three years, but at that time, it just was, it was, it was huge. pretty large. Yeah, also, hi, you were 14. You know, like, it was your teenage years doing this. I always wish I was, like, a little bit of a smarter teenager, though, and I had monetized it somehow. Some ads. I don't know. The story something. itself, I guess. But, like, There's, honestly, the story itself is just so fascinating. It like, it, it, it's a great um, precursor to who you are and where you are, you know, how you got to where you are today. So I think the story alone is worth it. I love I it. I think you're right. And love it. It's really good to my mom for encouraging it. So it's hi, amazing. Mom. Yay, I mom. I owe it to you. I hope you're listening. <laughs> you have a fabulous daughter. <laughs> it was great. She, uh, yeah, she made it happen. Awesome. So then you went to college. So I went to college. I went to Penn State. Yep. I majored in marketing. Yep. I minored in information sciences and technology. Great. And telecommunications. Yep. There actually wasn't a digital marketing degree at Penn State. Right. Or really anywhere. So that was kind of the closest I could get to mm -hmm. creating that on my mm -hmm. own. Um, just knowing what I had done with the fan club and where I, I sort of saw myself and where I wanted to go. So I did that. I did some internships. Um various companies. I worked at VH1 in their online department at the time and Fox Kids Television in Europe. Uh, I just, I really liked the idea of going into music, but at that time Napster was happening and things, it felt like it was very unsure. Was, yeah. Uh, yes. Unsteady. Yes. And so I, I felt like I needed to find something that was similar and related, but maybe a little bit more accessible in the long run. Although I say that now. So now I'm in TV. Um, and I sort of stayed sort of with, the, with those internships for a bit. When I graduated, I realized I could come to New York and I could make $35,000 a year working in TV and you know sleeping on people's floors. Mm -hmm. uh, or I could just do something else and try something else out. So I took a little bit of a detour is what I call it now. I worked for Abercrombie & Fitch at their headquarters. Wow. As a merchandiser. So it was basically taking a designer's sketch into fruition, making it happen. And negotiating costs and working with vendors. Uh, at the age of 23, I was traveling to Hong Kong and India and just negotiating costs down. The type of thing where, you know, I got sent over there and I was basically told if you get the um, total cost down by 10 cents, 
per garment, then you can come home. But until you do that, you're kind of stuck here. So for pressure that, you know, that worked wow. out. So no gate negotiation skills up because of that. So that worked well. Did someone have to teach it to you or was it something that you was kind no. of trial by fire? Yeah, you just get thrown in the mix. I mean, wow. trial by, you know, staying in India. Wow. <laughs> yeah. It was, I mean, it was extremely great learning experience. And did that opportunity to do that, did that come to you? Did you seek out merchandising? Like it's just a shift. So when I hear that, I think like, okay, how, how did you get to that? Did you seek that out when you wanted the change? No. I mean, to the honest answer yep. is that I was terrible at interviewing. Mm. Horrible. And so I took every interview I could possibly get at Penn State as a, just a learning process. So how can I get better? Wow. Um, I still think I have trouble with interviewing, so forgive me for this, uh, you know, off-topic interview. But I'd say basically, I just every interview, at some point, it kind of clicked with Abercrombie. I liked the people I was talking to. It felt yep. like an interesting opportunity. Yep. I was going to um, be making more than thirty-five thousand dollars a year, and it That's just a felt plus. Like yeah, there was room for growth there. Right, right. I started managing two people within the first year and year and a half. You probably also felt very relieved if you hate interviewing. Like it's when you get the job, it was it's easy. like the best. Yes, it was done, easy. done. Yeah, and I felt like I had, I could learn a lot from from that job, and I did. So huh. I was there for just for a couple of years, and wow. then I decided to move on. And then you learned how to be a negotiator. So hate, hate being interview, hate interviewing, hate but it. good negotiator. Very, in, very interesting. Okay. Trying. Okay. So you come back. So you get your yeah, 10, you got, got it, it down by 10 cents. You come back from India. What's and next? I, I left. Almost you left. Immediately You're like, I'm done. There. I'm done. They, yeah. Basically, I was, I, just, I was stuck in India. I come back. Done. Exactly. Done. I just okay. feel like, you know, I, I've done everything I can do. Here. Yes. I've thank you. Yes. I have freed myself. But it's time to move on. Okay. So yeah, I actually, I quit out another job, okay. which I had never done before. and I Which is interesting home. for somebody who hates interviewing. It's very I know. interesting. It was risky. Very risky, but I love this risk. Yeah. Okay, so you moved home. I moved home, and I decided that I would try and get to television. Okay. Knowing that I have to move to New York. Mm-hmm. So part of the story that I left out is that when I was at VH1 doing interviewing, or excuse me, when I was at VH1 uh, for my internship, I was living in Philadelphia at the time, okay. my mom's house, and I would take the train every day four hours Woo. each way. Um, so I did that about once a week. I'd stay overnight on someone's floor mm-hmm. at NYU. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had this preconceived notion that I just like hated New York. Okay, like, it was just such a struggle yeah. when I was doing the internship, but it was never comfortable. I never right. Well, to, you like, were commuting for right. four hours exactly. each way, right? Yeah, and I was you know like of twenty course. years old. It's the and grind. Scary, and yes, the yes. Whole thing. Yes. Um, and at that point, you were avoiding sleeping on mattresses, and that's kind of what you were doing. Exactly. I've exactly. got it. I've got the whole You're, thing. Got I've got it. your number. So I just decided that, you know, okay, let's just try this again, maybe like as an adult, where I could yep. get an apartment yep. and not be like yep. stuck in someone's Yep, yep, floor. yep. Yeah, so I, I did that. I just I interviewed a ton. Nothing was really working out. I couldn't get my, my foot in the right doors, and so I decided to use LinkedIn. Uh, I reached out to every alumni that I could find at, uh, who is a Penn State alumni, at a big TV network, specifically Viacom, since I had been there and I had liked it. Yes. Um, no one answered me except for one person. And it was someone who was very high up on the floors and he was very high up in finance. And he took my meeting and I was very surprised. How that. many How many LinkedIn messages did you send out? I'd say at least 25. Wow. A lot. Okay, so he responds. He was the only person who responded. Yep. 
Uh, and he agreed to meet with me. Yep. And I basically posed the question to him. I don't know if I should go back and get my MBA. I was dating someone at the time who was getting their MBA. I just felt like maybe I should do this. I don't know. It seems like he's getting smarter and mm -hmm. I'm just kind of floundering over mm -hmm. here. Uh, and I, I talked to, to this man of ICOM about this and he basically told me, don't get your MBA. If you want to be in entertainment, the connections you make are going to be much more helpful to you. Okay. Which was awesome. And it's true. And mm -hmm. I totally believe that now. Yep. So at the end of the discussion, he picked up the phone and he called someone um, at Comedy Central mm -hmm. and he asked this man to talk to me about a job. Uh, things didn't really work out there, although I'm still also in touch with the guy at Comedy Central. Okay, good. Which is awesome. Um, but by the end of that week, I had two interviews set up with Viacom and I ended up getting one of the jobs and that, you know, I stayed there for the next five years. Amazing. It was really fantastic. Awesome. Yeah. I love that. Networking. Okay. So where were you then? You went, you were at Viacom. Which, yeah. Which area? So I worked at Logo. Okay. I was hired as the first like full-time social media employee at okay. Viacom. I did uh, a couple years of just social media at Logo and then just started taking on more responsibilities because it was such a small brand. It right. was fantastic. going to wear a lot of different hats. Right. So I started doing SEO and SEM and then digital marketing, email, working with the CRM team. Yep. And then towards the end of my tenure at, at Logo, I was there for five years, I uh, was looking at over all consumer marketing. Awesome. So in addition to social. Awesome. So it was great, just kind of continuously moving up over the course of those five years and meeting new people and learning new things. I feel like it was, I also had an amazing mentor there who just really saw in me, I think, herself and, and grew me, which was incredible, more than I could ever hope for. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Okay, so then you're ready to move on. Yeah. So then I decided, you know, Logo was uh, uncertain about what the future of mm -hmm. the brand was. Mm -hmm. It was a time when we didn't necessarily need a, a channel like Logo um, because it was amazing. LGBT um, characters, I will say, people were in every single TV show. So there wasn't was as much of a need for a focus yeah. only. Wow. So great. I feel like we were like, we did it. That's <laughs> incredible. It. Yeah, it was great. But so I felt like I needed to move on. So I... Um, I wanted to test my skills in social and digital, and I moved to a larger network. So I started as the director of social at A&E, mm -hmm. and I was there for a year, just working primarily on social media, and I moved then over to History Channel also. So I was doing A&E in history. I did that for a year, and then I took over FYI, so A&E history and FYI. And then about six months ago, we shifted, and now I'm working on just the revenue side of social media for A&E history, FYI, and Lifetime. Wow. That's an yeah. awesome story. Tell me, tell me a little bit uh, about when you're working, uh, for a television network, you're working, you're working on a specific channel and the primary goal of social, if you were, is it, is it to promote the content that's happening? Is it, is it to drive viewership? Give me a little bit of like the philosophy behind sure. it. Sure. I'd say up until the past six months ago, the primary goal and the KPI that we were measuring ourselves against was linear viewing, so yep. ratings. Yep. So looking at the Nielsen ratings and ensuring that we were doing our part of marketing to drive people to the to the network. The way that I always position social media though with, with TV is that I don't think, you know, there's, I would be making a lot, a lot, a lot more money if I knew that social media did drive a TV rating. It was kind of impossible right now to prove. Right. But what I do know is that social media helps to drive FOMO or fear of missing out. Yeah. Um, 
for people around TV shows. So the way that I always looked at social is how can I get people to talk about our our shows by giving them amazing and interesting content that they'll share and then create a nice social echo there, which just continues to, to mm. grow. Uh, and that's something that we did really well with Duck Dynasty. So, you know, think what you will about the show. It was weird for me to go from, you know, oh, low wow. To yes. From logo to Duck Dynasty yeah. is actually an incredible, yeah. uh, a lot of shift. yeah, a lot of cognitive dissonance. Yes, the, I'm sure. That. I'm sure. Um, but I mean, it, it was a challenge, and I like the idea of challenges. Yep. When I actually was at Abercrombie, we chose what department we were in, and I decided to go into men's because I didn't want to put my own personal spin, spin. on what uh, what the decisions I was making. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, so I felt similar with Annie, just making sure that I was trying to be um, in the mind of the consumer as much as possible. Yep. But I think the the example of Duck is basically we looked at how can we get into the mind of these people who are who are really interested in the show and just share these really funny moments. And this was four years ago. So people were doing it, but not like they are today. Right. Like content in the past four years has exploded. 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 And just we just tried to be really strategic about what we were putting out because we knew the audience. And then, you know, soon enough I had people asking me, What's this Duck Dynasty show everybody's talking about? Like I don't understand it. And to be honest, I didn't understand it when I first started there either. And right. I started realizing there's just like a voracious fan base that we were able to give tons of content to. So it really helps you just tap into the fan base that's there yeah. to let them spread the message. Yeah. yeah, evangelists for sure. So in your time there, I would imagine, were you doing some of the community management for these brands? Yes. yes. Oh, yes. Did you sleep? Yeah, what did you do? It's, yeah, it was, it was tough yeah. for sure. I had a very, very good team, I think, who were always on it and on top of things, which made things, you know, quite a bit easier when you feel like you have support. Um, although it was just a lot, you know, mm. it was about, I think at that time between those three networks, we had around a hundred different brands if you consider each series a brand and they shift a lot right because like a vikings audience is significantly different than a first 48 audience yes or yes, a yes. motel it's very yes. different audiences yes. so just getting into the mind of what each of those different consumers want mm. and how we can help to drive that awareness how are you perceiving the the shift from the networks to start going into live production of content is that something that um is being looked at seriously? Is it something that you see as as um, a challenge or an opportunity for television networks? Sure, I think I think it's twofold. So I, what's interesting, why you say this? We have a show on the air right now called Live PD, which mm. is actually an entirely live shot like television show. Wow! For internet, like for the network. Wow! So I think the company is putting a stake in the ground and saying that we do believe in live TV, whether mm -hmm. that's on your screen that you're, you know, you're typing on, or mm -hmm. whether it's on the big screen mm -hmm. in front of you. So regardless of screen, live is something that we're embracing wholeheartedly. It becomes a bit more difficult. We talk about integrating an advertiser into live, and we don't have the tools, you know, from the platforms. So yeah. Facebook has the beta where you can like potentially put adver advertisements within the live streams, yeah. but it's not sort of rolled out on, into the masses yet. Mm, so yeah. that becomes a bit more difficult. And how do we actually pay for this content? Mm. It'll be interesting to see how the networks kind of work with the, the networks work with the networks, right. the social right. networks uh, <laughs> to bring it all together. I think it's going to be a really fascinating time. Do you, when you're watching a show that you like, even mm -hmm. if it's not on one of the networks that you represent, um, are you engaging on social media about that show? And do, do you think differently about it because you did it and do it? What a great question. I do. I think there's very few shows that I participate in um, outwardly that I'll actually communicate to my base about. Yeah. 
but I will sort of just uh, look around and see what people are saying and see if their perception is similar to what mine is. Yes. I know that networks are constantly setting sentiment and they want to see what people are saying and that that is an indicator of success. And so I do tend to check in just to see how things are going. Yes. Um, it's, it's interesting to me and also to see how their talent is talking about the show. Mm, yes. That I found to be really interesting yeah. too. And such an engaging medium when you see the talent exactly. actually talking about it live. Yeah. To see how they're, how the network is leveraging those people that might have followings yeah. and then sort of like their spin on it too, which has been interesting. One thing that I've seen recently is I, you know, I was talking to you earlier about Shonda Rhimes, like when Shonda tweets Grace, like oh it's gosh, a whole yeah. other level. Like you're like, oh, yeah, you see everything that she's thinking behind the scenes. And it's like, really it's that peak behind the curtain. Ooh experience for sure. And how about in, in your experience in this, is Twitter the medium of choice where people go to talk about their television shows still? I know for me, for me, that's almost exclusively what I'm using Twitter. I'm using Twitter to share news and talk about TV shows. Like that's still my real time right. kind of network. Has this shifted at all with some of the changes in the networks? So I think we still think of Twitter as a real-time platform. Yeah. However, new data is coming out that's mm-hmm. showing us that that might not be true for every show. Mm. So because Facebook has opened up their data with DataSift, it's been um, a little more accessible for us to start, right. to start to actually measure. So I think that Facebook gives us the benefit of a bit more of a long tail, mm. whereas with Twitter we see a peak and then it's sort of it just kind of diminishes. Yeah. Where Facebook, we do see, um, a, you know, longer conversation period. It's so interesting that you say that because I guess when you think about it with Twitter, you just search a hashtag and it's all there. Yep. And Facebook, people are having all of these conversations with privacy settings that you may or may not see. Exactly. It's unbelievable. Yeah, that's such that's so interesting to yeah. see so because as more data comes up, it, it sort of like opens up our eyes. So, oh wait, right? It's not exactly this because right. just what you can see publicly is not always reflective of what's totally happening. Exactly. Very, very interesting stuff. Well, Morgan, thank you so much for being on the show today. It was really, really great. And I know you don't like being interviewed for jobs, but you certainly were a great (laughs) interview as a social lady. You were awesome. Where should people follow you? Uh, At Morgan Greco. At Morgan Greco. Awesome. Follow her. And hi, mom. (laughs) You've been listening to All the Social Ladies with Carrie Kerfin, CEO of Likeable Media. You can follow Carrie on Twitter, at Carrie Kerfin. To get current social media insights and great tips, sign up for Carrie's weekly newsletter by emailing newsletter at likeable.com. This podcast is brought to you by Likeable Media. Likeable Media produces and distributes content across the social web for mid to large size brands. Visit them at likeable.com.